The following audio is from Grace City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Grace City Church is available at gracecitysd.com. Sarah lived 127 years. These were the years of the life of Sarah. And Sarah died at Kiriath Abra, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham went in to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. And Abraham rose up from before his dead and said to the Hittites, I am a sojourner and a foreigner among you. Give me property among you for a burying place, that I may bury my dead out of my sight. The Hittites answered Abraham, Hear us, my lord. You are a prince of God. You are a prince of God among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of our tombs. None of us will will withhold from you his tomb to hinder you from burying your dead. Abraham rose and bowed to the Hittites the people of the land. And he said to them, If you are willing that I should bury my dead out of my sight, hear me and entreat me for entreat for me Ephron the son of Zohar, that he may give me the cave of Machpelah, which he owns. It is at the end of his field. For the full price, let him give it to me in your presence as property for a burying place. Now Ephron was sitting among the Hittites, and Ephron the Hittite answered Abraham in the hearing of the Hittites, of all who went in the gate of his city. No, my lord, hear me. I give you the field, and I give you the cave that is in it. In the sight of the sons of my people, I give it to you. Bury your dead. Then Abraham bowed down before the people of the land, and he said to Ephron in the, in the hearing of the people of the land, But if you will hear me, I give the price of the field. Accept it from me, that I may bury my dead there. Ephron answered Abraham, My lord, listen to me. A piece of land worth 400 shekels of silver. What is that between you and me? Bury your dead. Abraham listened to Ephron and, Ab- to listen to Ephron, and Abraham weighed out for Ephron the silver that he had named in the hearing of the Hittites. 400 shekels of silver, according to the weights current among the merchants. So the field of Ephron in Machpelah, which was to the east of Mamre, the field with the cave that was in it, and all the trees that were in the field throughout its whole area was made over to Abraham as a possession in the presence of the Hittites before all who went in the gate of his city. After this, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave of the field of Machpelah, east of Mamre, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. The field and the cave that is in it were made over to Abraham as property for a burying place by the Hittites. This is the word of God. Let us pray. Father, Lord, we come to you today um, in awe of what you've done. Lord, I pray that as we learn about Sarah and and your word, Lord, I pray that it wrestles with our hearts and our souls. Lord, I pray uh, for the people here and the people that are not here in the city, Lord, that they continue to hear you, continue to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for what you've done and who you are. Because you are our God, you are our Savior, Lord. So, Lord, be with us, pray for us, bless us, love us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks. Thanks, Ryan. All right, good morning. 
Now, we are continuing in our series in the Gospel of uh, Genesis. We're talking through the book of Genesis. We've been talking about it from the beginning of the year. We've talked about how God created all things. Uh, We've gone through the life of Adam and Eve. We've gone through the life of Noah. Now we are in the life of Abraham. And we're coming towards the end of that. And so we've been looking at his life. um, And we are in Genesis 23, 1 through 20. And this is a very important part of his life, of his story, because what we see is this is the end of the life of Sarah, his wife. And so we met Abraham and Sarah in Genesis 11, right at the end there. And now we see the end of her life. And so um, our message today is entitled, Walking Through Loss. Walking Through Loss. And I think this is a timely message for us, even in San Diego right now, as we see um, the tragedy that happened yesterday uh, in Poway with uh, the, the, the families and the people w- within that shooting um, that happened at the Chabad Center in Poway. And so um, for us, as we're walking through this, I-, I hope that it's helpful for us as we process what loss looks like. Now, in 2008... Here in University City, there was a, uh, an F-18 that crashed. Um, Dong Yoon, uh, Yoon uh, lost his wife, two children. Uh, his children were two months old and 15 months old. Uh, he lost also his mother-in-law when this F-18 uh, jet slammed into the family's house. Now, this happened right down the road from us. And I remember watching uh, the national news that day and his response to the loss of his family. And in many ways, it, it floored me. Because here's what his response was. He said, please pray for the pilot not to suffer from this accident. He's one of the treasures for our country. I don't blame him. I don't have any hard feelings. I know he did everything he could. I know there are many people who have experienced more terrible things, but please tell me how to do it. I don't know what to do. As he gave this speech, he had his pastor there helping him, walking him through the loss. And for many of us, this type of response, to say that type of thing as he experienced heartache and grief and it was that fresh. It's, it's in many ways off the grid for us. See, he had just lost his whole family. And it's a very important uh, viewpoint for us as we look at what suffering and suffering as Christians looks like. You see, for many of us, we, we can naturally fall into different categories when it comes to loss. Uh, for some of us, we fall into this category of um, trying to look at everything positively and, and, and we try to put on this happy face as if everything has this silver lining and it's just this great thing even though we've suffered loss and so we try to put on a mask and we hear the cliches. Or maybe there are those who come to us in the midst of loss and they give us these cliches and say this is how you get through it. For others of us... Um, We have this downward spiral when it comes to loss, and it's hopeless. Everything is hopeless. But how does the Bible tell us to experience loss? Well, 
I think for us, what we see in the life of Abraham and in the life of many throughout the scriptures is this. It's, it's what I would call more of a realistic view of loss. See, the Bible gives us the most honest, well-rounded, raw perspective of the world of suffering and of loss that personally I've, I've ever come across, but, but also offers the most profound hope and even joy that can be found in the midst of loss. Again, over this past month, we looked at the life of Abraham and how God worked in his life despite his many failures, right? And in our minds, we try to put people, figures within the scriptures up on this pedestal like they didn't have any struggles. But yet what we see in the life of Abraham is that he had many struggles and that his life was not shaped by him trying to muster up enough courage or strength to put on a happy face that day and be a better person. But what it was was that God shaped him through grace and constant love. See, what this means is that this doesn't mean that we won't suffer in life or experience deep pains, but that God gives us the strength to get through it. And so our text is Genesis 23, 1 through 20. And, and Ian DeGid, who, who does uh, a commentary work on this, he, he gives a great summation of what's happening here. He says, this chapter has to do with death, the death of Abraham's beloved wife, Sarah. If Genesis 22, which we talked about last week, showed us death averted, Genesis 23 shows us a death accepted. Even God's calling and election did not free Abraham and Sarah from that painful reality. And so, how did Abraham face one of the most difficult moments of his life? We see the narrative unfold in three ways. And so the first one is this. He grieved for Sarah. Second, he longed for home. And thirdly, he trusted in a better future. He grieved for Sarah. He longed for home. He trusted in a better future. And so the first point, he grieved for Sarah. Look at verses one and two. It says, Sarah lived to be 127 years old. She died at Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham went to mourn for Sarah and to weep over her. What this shows us is two things for every believer. Uh, The first part is this, that pain and loss is inevitable. Verse 1 tells us that God did not protect Abraham from this. He didn't say, okay, you followed my commands, you've obeyed me up to this point, and so... You're not going to experience any pain and loss. But what we see is that he feel, experienced the full effect of it. See, this goes against faulty Christian thinking that nothing bad will happen to me because I believe in God. Abraham experienced pain and loss throughout his life. And here's the thing, so will we. But this doesn't mean that God doesn't love us. Right? Because... That's what our our minds go to first, right? We experience pain, we experience loss. We think, okay, God couldn't love me. But again, that's not the case. And so first, pain and loss is inevitable. But secondly, it's this. It's necessary to grieve loss. It's necessary to grieve loss. After losing his wife to cancer in 1960, C.S. Lewis wrote this um, in in his book, A Grief Observed. Here's what he writes. He says, no one 
ever told me that grief felt so much like fear. I'm not afraid, but the sensation is like being afraid. The same fluttering in the stomach, the same relentlessness, the yawning, I keep on swallowing. There's a sort of inevitable blanket between the world and and me. I find it hard to take in what anyone says, or perhaps hard to want to take it in. I dread the moments when the house is empty. See, there is this myth, and here's what it is. Men don't cry. Men don't cry. Or men shouldn't cry, right? Because we've also heard that. Like, a real man doesn't cry. A real man doesn't feel emotion. A real man is very stoic during difficult times. But what we see is that is out of character from what we see in Scripture. See, 150 psalms, out of the 150 psalms, there are more lamentations. You know what those are? Weeping and tears within those texts. And from what we know, they were written by men. John 11.35 famously tells us this. It says that Jesus wept. Jesus wept. And so today, what we see is this, that the world might say real men don't cry. But what we see the Bible say is that godly men do cry. They do. As they suffer pain and loss. And we see it very clearly here. It says Abraham went to mourn for Sarah and to weep over her. It doesn't pass over this moment, but it tells us after 127 years of life, right? And it wasn't that she died tragically, but it was that she died because of old age. But still, there was this hurt and this pain. See, we can deal with our grief in three ways. We can stuff it inside and act like it's not there. We can spread it and we can share it. We can get it out there But sometimes what we can do is we can take out our pain, maybe on ourselves or on others. And so what is Abraham doing here? Well, what we see is that in many ways, he surrenders it. He's surrendering it over to God. He's taking it to the Lord. And so what we see next is this. As he processes this pain. Second point is he longed for home. He longed for home. Look at verse uh, four through six. It says, I am a foreigner and stranger among you. Sell me some property for a burial site so I can bury my dead. The Hittites replied to Abraham, sir, listen to us. You're a mighty prince among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of our tombs. None of us will refuse you his tomb for burying your dead. So look at verse 4. It says, Abraham says, I am a foreigner and stranger among you. Now, in the Hebrew, in the original text, um, it, it's, it highlights the, the, the phrase alien and stranger. That comes first in the sentence in the original Hebrew. So Abraham is literally saying, an alien and stranger I am. He knew 
that that wasn't his home. You see, as Abraham reflected on the death of Sarah in his grief, he saw the true nature of his existence here on earth. He's just passing through. It's like many times it says within uh, the, the scriptures that we are sojourners. We're just journeying through. It's much like the Apostle Paul says in Philippians 3.20. He says, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body and be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Right, and in many ways, what we do is, is our mindset before we have this type of moment is this is my home. And then we get so worried and concerned about the things that are happening here, right now, in this moment. And we get trapped with fear, anxieties, worries, even depression. Because we are so worried and concerned about saying, you know what? This is my real home. But what we see is as Abraham processed the loss of his wife, he says, this actually is not my real home. I'm just a sojourner. I'm just just a foreigner, a stranger passing through. Again, Ian DeGid says this. He says, it was now 60 years since God had called him to go to the land that he would give him. Yet here he was, so many years later, still an alien and stranger owning no land and having no secure status in the community, he was still just passing through. Right? Could, could you or could I be comfortable with this type of life? With just kind of knowing, you know what? I don't own anything, but I'm just passing through. And so that is the life that God called Abraham to. And and he viewed himself in this way. He says, despite how others viewed him. Look at at verse 6. In verse 6, the people are coming to him. The leaders of the community are coming to him. He says, sir, listen to us. You are a mighty prince among us. Like you see yourself as just an alien and a stranger, but we see yourself as a prince among us. And you see, that can be tempting can be tempting, right? You know what? They're right. They're right. I am a, I am a prince among you. I, I should be getting more than what I've got right now. I deserve that type of life. See, Abraham's hope was not in that, not found in being a prince on earth. He considered himself as a foreigner and stranger in this world. And this is a reality for those of us who believe. This current world is not our home. He longed for home. Hebrews 11.10. I love the book of Hebrews because what it does is it gives us a a really an interpretation of the Old Testament. It helps us to to process. And and you know what it says in Hebrews 11.10? It says this about Abraham. It says, for he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Like we get so caught up in this world. Yet Abraham was looking at the world that only God could create. That the foundations and builder is God. That's my foundations. That's what I build my life upon. Walter Brueggemann says this. He says, it is the, the landless sojourner who is God's prince. It is the landless one who bears all the promises and lives in hope. The hope of God. 
right? The, the unseen, the thing that you can't say, this is within my savings plan, right? This is what I can see right here. This is what I've got. No, he put his hope in God. And how do you do that? Well, lastly, it says he trusted in a better future. He trusted in a Look at verse 8, um, and then in 1720, it says, he said to them, if you're willing to let me bury my dead, then listen to me and intercede with Ephron as son of Zohar on my behalf. And so he will sell me the cave at Machpelah, which belongs to him, and is at the end of his field. Ask him to sell it to me for the full price as a burial site among you. Then verses 17, 20. So Ephron, um, field, uh, Ephron's field in Machpelah near Mamre, uh, both of the field and the cave in it and all the trees within the borders of the field was deeded to Abraham as his property in the presence of all the Hittites who had come to the gate of the city. Afterward, Abraham buried his wife in the cave in the field of Machpelah near Mamre, which is in Hebron, um, in the land of Canaan. So the field and the cave in it were deeded to Abraham by the Hittites as a burial site. Now, what can we learn from this last section? This is very important for us today as we look at this. It's twofold. Number one, it's this. Abraham is, is, is in this conversation with Ephraim. And he says, I want that, that cave. I want, I want your cave. And, um, and so... He says, okay, they settle on 400 shekels. And Abraham is purchasing this field in faith. He's purchasing it in faith because uh, as they talk in verses uh, 8 through 16, there's this back and forth. But the reason that we know that he's purchasing this field in faith is because this itself would be the land in which God would provide. This is the promised land. And so he's, he's, he's saying, okay, I'm going to take, take this field. I'm going to bury my beloved wife here because I'm believing that God is going to do something. See, why is verses 17 through 20 so specific? Well, it's telling us something. At the time, Abraham owned nothing. And here's the thing about Abraham. He was rich. He was rich. He could have bought other places, but he didn't. Why now? See, Abraham is paying for this location, believing that someday God would give him and his people the entire land. Gordon Wenham says this, with with the purchase completed, Abraham buried his wife in the land of Canaan. She died and was buried in the land of promise in a burial plot that was to be the resting place also of her husband, son, grandson, and their wives. He's believing that this place is significant because God already told him that. And so he's laying it all out and saying, okay, I'm going to take a risk. It was a risk for him to make this type of negotiation with Ephraim. But God gave him favor, and he bought the land. Second, Abraham is trusting in eternity. See, what we see here is Abraham is standing in the already and not yet of God's promise. The already, not yet. Do you, do you know what I mean by that? Like, like, as a Christian, here's what you stand in. What, what the Bible tells us is that we have the riches of God right at our disposal right now. And you're like, I don't feel that. I don't feel that right now in this moment. That's a hard for me to, to accept, to believe. But it says there is an already nature that when God looks at you, you're his. You're his child. 
Yet there's like the not yet part. There's like the struggle and, and, and the wrestling and all of those things that we still go through in life. The not yet. The already not yet. And what we see here is depicted in the life of Abraham is that Sarah is in the already. She is with God. Yet Abraham is still in the not yet. He's having to deal with the grief and the loss and the pain of this world. See, as we looked at this is not his home, right? This is, this is not yet. His ultimate hope is in an eternal hope. A couple of weeks ago, um, got to do the wedding for uh, my sister-in-law. It was a beautiful day. We, we had all of my wife's family come out from the East Coast. And uh, one of the things that we did during that time is we took a hike. Uh, there's a hike, it's uh, called Annie's Canyon. If you haven't been there, you should go check it out. It's a cool little hike, great, great hike, uh, family hike, all of that stuff, a pretty easy hike. But there's this one section where we're, we're hiking up and you're climbing through this, this really thin, skinny area and you're, you know, it's like you're going up um, the... I don't know, the mountainside there or whatever, um, the canyon. Um, but you're, you're going up, and Laura's grandmother, who's in her 80s, is doing an amazing job. Um, but she gets to this place where she's getting a little tired. She says, I just need a, a break. Now, last summer, her husband passed away, uh, Grandpa John. Amazing man of God, lo- loved Jesus. Um, really in his last days, just really talked about going home a lot. And, um, and so she stops and puts her hand against the cave, or the canyon there, the canyon wall. And she just wanted to take a breather. And then she looked up, and then here's what she saw. John. And, and the thing about John is he spelled his name J-O-N, not J-O-H-N, J-O-N. And she looked at it, she just, she put her hand up there and she just stopped. She didn't even realize it. And she saw his name. She said, there it is. Right? And, she, and I said, Grandma, we got to take a picture. And so we took a picture. But that in, it, it just stuck out to me so much. So it was like, it was like the already, she's like, she's like, my, my hope is that, and she's like, I am so happy for John. I know he's with God right now. That's my joy. But she says, it's so hard here. It's so hard. And as we look at the life of Abraham, what we see is that there is the already not yet, and God has, ha- has him in this moment. Facing loss, but knowing that there's a better future. Right? So just some takeaways. First one is this. How do you view the journey? How do you view the journey? Right? Like we're all so journeying through life. We're all going through difficulties. We're all going through those moments of loss, of pain, of confusion. Right, but how are, we, how are we viewing the journey right now? Because there are things that you're going through in life that you're, you're thinking to yourself, I don't know how this is going to work out. And you're wrestling with questions. I was having a, friend, a, a coffee with a friend this week, and it just, it, it just hit me when he said it. He says, you know what? We need the journey just as much as the promised land. 
We need the journey just as much as the promised land. You know, as, as, as we were talking, it's like you go through those journeys, but you need that journey. Why? That, that, that journey is shaping you and making you into the person that, that God wants you to be, that God desires you to be. But you got to go, you got to walk through the journey because Abraham is, is walking the journey and he's becoming a different person. What we saw at the very beginning of his life is he, he, he lacked character in a lot of places. But God didn't give up on him. He showed him continual grace upon grace upon grace and he's shaping him and making him into a different person. See, many times we want, that journey. we want the promised land. This is it. This is the journey. It's done. I've got it. It's in my grasp. But God says, no. I want you to walk and I want you to take steps along this journey that's going to make you into a different person. Because like I said before, Jesus is more concerned with your character than your comfort. He's more concerned about those things. Because in many ways, I, I want to be more concerned about my comfort. I want to be comfortable, and I want to live a nice life, and all of those things. But God says, no, no, I, I really have something better for you. And so it's a part of the journey that you're walking right now that will help you as we reach that promised land. Second, how do you move forward? Right? Like, how do you move forward when you, you, you experience pain when you experience loss when when you you walk through life and you say how am I going to get through the next day I think John Piper had a really great quote he says occasionally weep deeply over the life you hoped would be grieve the losses then wash your face trust God and embrace the life you have right there are moments where we do need to grieve the things that we've lost the those moments, those seasons, right? It's okay to do that. But as we walk through those moments, there is a time where he says we need to wash our face and move forward knowing that God is still with us and that he loves us. And that might take different amounts of time for different people. Right. Lastly, how do you view the end? How do you view the end? Here's the thing that's inevitable. All of us have an end. Every one of us. And so how do you view it? British theoretical physicist, the late uh, Stephen Hawking said back in 2011, there is no heaven. It's a fairy story. This is a very sad and pessimistic view about our end as people. And it's not the end that the Bible gives us because Ecclesiastes 3.11 says this. It says, he, being God, has put eternity into man's heart. Has put eternity into man's heart. Right? In many ways, we, we keep coming back to this reality that th there has to be something more than this world. And it's because God put it in our hearts. And see, at some point, we're going to have to make a decision about what we believe the end is like. Is there something beyond death? Or is it just a fairy story? In his book, Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering, Timothy Keller shares this story. 
There's a man, Donald Gray Barnhouse, who was a pastor at 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia for many years. He lost his wife when his daughter was still a child. And Dr. Barnhouse was trying to help the little girl and himself process the loss of his wife and her mother. Um, Once they were driving and this huge uh, truck, uh, van, just kind of passed by them. As it passed, the, the shadow of the truck swept over the car. The minister had a thought. He he said something like this. He said, would you rather be run over by a truck or by its shadow? His daughter said, well, by the shadow, of course. He says, you can't be hurt by that shadow. We'd be fine. He says, it's very similar to death. He says, you know, it was only the shadow of death that went over your mother. She's actually alive. More alive than we are. And that's because 2,000 years ago, the real truck of death hit Jesus. And because death crushed Jesus and we believe in him, now the only thing that can come over us is the shadow of death. And the shadow of death is but my entrance into glory. See, how can we know that that's true? How can we know that there truly is a better future? What's well, like we've talked about before? It's because 2,000 years ago, Jesus paid the full price of death and sin on the cross. And then he says, anyone who believes in me and and through the cross of what I've done, your greatest losses are only a shadow. And your greatest losses, just like it looked like the cross, was the greatest loss in the history of the world, can become the greatest victories when we place them in the hands of God, when they're in God's hands. See, no longer do I need to stuff it. No longer do I need to hold on to it. No no longer do I need to try and fix it. But I can be real and say, I've got a lot of hurt. I've got a lot of loss. I've got a lot of pain. And I can put that in your hands, God. And please, would you bring life? Would you bring resurrection? Would you bring healing? That's the reality that we live in when we place our our life in the hands of God. And so today, would you place your loss in his hands as we walk through life? Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that as we face the realities of pain and loss in this world, we can know that there's hope because of Jesus, because of what he has done for us. And so today, I encourage all of us to put our hope in him. And God, I pray that you will heal the wounds and the scars that we have. Those places that are, bring a lot of hurt and pain. We ask today that you heal us and help us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from Grace City Church. If you found this helpful, feel free to share it and enjoy more resources at gracecitysd.com.
Grace City Church exists to equip people with the gospel for everyday life.